to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, August 26th, and today Matt Bellany is here to talk about House of the Dragon, HBO's Game of Thrones spinoff that reeled in 10 million viewers for its premiere. It's a hit, but how does a show that expensive fit into David Zaslov's cost-cutting agenda at Warner Brothers Discovery? We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. If it's Friday, it means we are two days from Sunday, which is when episode two of House of the Dragon comes out on HBO. I'm joined today by Matt Bellany to talk about the fates and fortunes of House of the Dragons, uh, House Targaryen, but also House Zaslov. Matt, did you watch the premiere of the show? I did not. I am not a Game of Thrones person, unfortunately. Okay. But I recognize I'm in the minority. If we look at the numbers from the premiere of House of the Dragon, the numbers that HBO released, 10 million people showed up to watch this thing in the first day and a half, which is a lot. It's uh, the biggest premiere in HBO's history, they said. Now, we don't know what the ultimate number will be for the first episode. Usually, about seven days out, they'll give us a sense of how many people watched in the first week. But it's going to be huge. It's going to be probably the biggest premiere in HBO's history, probably the biggest premiere of 2022, according to the services that track these numbers. Yes, and, and we should note Amazon has a Lord of the Rings prequel coming out, too. Which I have seen, which is pretty good. So... That's not coming out until September 2nd. So HBO has two full weeks before Lord of the Rings to kind of run rampant over this. Gotcha. So how does the House of the Dragon uh, number, how does that compare to Game of Thrones? How big was their audience at their peak? Oh, well, for the final season, they were averaging way more than that. I think it got up to like 44 million for oh one of those final episodes. When you counted all in the number of people that it, it, it generated. But this is bigger... 10 million is bigger than the season premiere of the original Game of Thrones, which obviously was nothing at the time and there was no goodwill associated with it, just some books that people had heard of. So it's not quite fair. Also, the evolution of HBO in that time period has been pretty significant. If you look back to when Game of Thrones premiered, I believe it was 2013, uh-huh. and it had there was, you know, there was a digital product, there was HBO Go, but the vast majority of viewing was linear and, you know, on your television. And the vast majority of that viewing was night of. It wasn't uh-huh. even TiVo. I mean, although there were DVRs, the vast majority of people watched it either that night or early the next day. So flash forward to now when the majority of viewing is not even occurring on television. It's occurring on digital within the app. And the majority is not probably going to happen that night. Yeah. But Game of Thrones actually premiered uh, this is crazy to me, on April 17th, 2011. So over a decade ago. Oh, 2011. There you go. Okay. So it was even before then. So the original showrunners, David Benioff and, and D.B. Weiss, the folks who did Game of Thrones, decided not to come back for a spinoff or any spinoffs. What's the gossip around that? So, you know, it was pretty clear by the end of Game of Thrones that the original creators... Benioff and Weiss, they were not going to do another one. They had other things they wanted to do. It's an extremely taxing show 
to make. I mean, they go over to Croatia for months and months at a time. I mean, this was beyond what had been done on television before. I mean, these were movies with special effects and dragons and, you know, huge extra casts and everything. They were burnt out. Now, the final season of Game of Thrones was not very well received either. The Mm -hmm. fans kind of revolted against the show when it deviated away from where the books had taken it. So I don't think HBO was that interested in bringing them back. They also had gigantic deals at HBO that they'd make they'd made tons of money on this. And if they were to come back, they would have asked for the moon in the sky to do it again. So I think the idea was to have new people come in. Now, what HBO isn't talking about right now is the fact that they actually made a prequel show before House of the Dragon that they completely scrapped. I mean, Naomi Watts was in it. They had done a full pilot. They, you know, got pretty far on it. And they basically decided that it wasn't working and it wasn't up to the standard of Game of Thrones. So they were just not going to do it. It's a testament to the HBO brand that they didn't. Most networks probably would have just said, you know what? It's Game of Thrones. People are going to watch it. F it. Let's do it. And HBO said, you know what? This is our marquee show. We got to get this right. They went back to the drawing board. They got new people involved and they came up with something that the fans, at least according to the first episode, do like. Your pal Bill Simmons had a take on his prestige TV podcast a while back about Showtime and how like when they come up with a hit like Homeland, they just run it into the ground because like or like billions. They'll just keep it going and going because like, ah, why not? Let's just do it. It's inventory. (laughs) Like it's content. Yeah. Shameless. I mean, Shameless went on even after Emmy Rossum left the show. Exactly. Exactly. And so like he was worried that they're going to do the same thing to Yellow Jackets. Matt, stay with me real quick. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about what this show means for the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslov, and his strategy moving forward to cut costs seemingly everywhere. All right, Matt. So David Zaslav, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, Zaz, as we know him at Puck, <laughs> has made you know a big show of, of wanting to cut costs everywhere. House of the Dragon is an expensive show. Uh, it existed and was in development before Zaslav took over. But I assume now that it's a hit, he'll keep investing in it. How does that square with him wanting to cut costs everywhere while also investing in something so big as this Game of Thrones show? We've seen the messaging from Zaslav is that he he knows that he can't just trim everything. This is a no-brainer. It's Game of Thrones. They know they're going to get a return on this investment. In fact, they were running subscription discounts in order to get people to sign up just to watch House of the Dragon. So they know that this is something that they need to put money into. I would not worry about budget cuts if I were on Game of Thrones. It's Everything that's not Game of Thrones, that's the problem. We saw this past week, the Batman director, Matt Reeves, who delivered a pretty successful hit in the recent Batman reboot. He just did a new deal with Warner Brothers and you know they re-signed him and they got him attached to all these projects. But at the same time, they shelved a Batman animated show that Matt Reeves was working on. So presumably this is a valued talent that they want to be in business with. They just did a new deal with him, but not so much that they wanted to keep his show going and they say that it will find a home elsewhere that they're not going to completely kill the project but that was going to be on hbo max and it's not going to be there now our colleague julia alexander wrote also this week on puck that zaslov ordered the removal of 
36 series from HBO Max, including 200 episodes of Sesame Street, animated shows like Infinity Train and Close Enough, and things like The Not Too Late Show with Elmo. Uh, There's some HBO Max originals he killed. What is he trying to do there, too? I mean, how does that save money? That is a very complicated formula where they have to pay residuals on these shows that they are distributing on the streaming service. So even though they own the show and they already paid for it, the longer you distribute it, you have to pay for that right. So they're going to save money in residuals by not airing it. And it makes the show available to package and sell off to potential other platforms. So you can make money on the show by giving it to somebody else when it's not generating very much engagement on your own platform. That's basically the financial calculus there. The strategic calculus is these are mostly children's oriented shows, a lot of animated stuff, but it's mostly things that appeal to families. HBO is pulling back from that arena because they know that there's a lot of competition. Disney and Netflix and Paramount Plus are all leaning into the family market. And that's not really HBO's core strength. They know that, they, you know, they play, they've had Sesame Street, they've had Tom and Jerry, Looney Tunes, Cartoon Network. They've had assets on HBO Max that are appealing to families. But while they haven't revealed numbers, what this suggests, the engagement numbers for that content is not justifying the cost. So they're going to pull back when they're under financial pressure. What's the gossip around town among creators? Like if you're a writer or showrunner, are, are they cranky with HBO? Are agents being like, we're going to go to other platforms? HBO is just like cutting costs here and there. Like what's their reputation? What's the gossip around town right now with all this pullback? HBO is still HBO. It still is the marquee place that you want to work. But there is a sense in the creative community that the ownership of HBO is sort of slashing and burning here. They really are appealing to the Wall Street investor rather than the creative community. And they're trying to have it both ways. They have these pristine entertainment brands like Warner Brothers and HBO, but they have this crushing debt and they have to do something. And they're doing it in in kind of an inelegant way. I mean, scrapping a movie like Batgirl and like Scoob, the sequel, that is a very inelegant way to save money. And it's pretty clear the CEO doesn't care about that, but that's going to have repercussions for the creative community. And people are talking about it. It's sad what people say. All right, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, What are you going to be watching on Sunday night instead of House of Dragon, uh, the Dodgers game, I guess? Yeah, although they usually play in the afternoon. But I'm still catching up on The Rehearsal, which is another HBO Max Mm. show, the Nathan Fielder show, which I think is brilliant. Um, I have to finish a couple episodes of that. And John Oliver, I always love on Sundays on HBO. Uh, but I may be going to other services other than HBO. All right, Matt, thank you so much for your insight. And everyone, make sure to listen to The Town, Matt's podcast about the biz here in LA. Have a great weekend, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at Puck.News and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 